This episode of This Week in Marvel is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code MARVELMINI, all one word, capital letters, at checkout to get 10% off. Hello there, This Week in Marvelites. This is Marvel.com editor Mark Strom, joined by... Marvel.com assistant editor Patrick Cavanaugh. For a very special installment of the Stromy and the Wolfman show, starring uh, the Wolfman and Stromy. We are here. It is our 200.5 episode of This Week in Marvel. Are you sure that that's the number Yes, of this? I'm sure. For anybody that listened to last week's... 200th episode yes i did insist it was episode 199 that i was wrong this time i have quadruple checked this is 200.5 we we've made it into a big tv extravaganza patrick and i spoke with uh some of the cast and creators of our current slave tv shows including uh well i talked with marvel's agent carter executive producers tara butters michelle fazakis and chris dingus i spoke with the star of marvel's jessica jones uh christian ritter as well as director colson himself from marvel's agents of shield and patrick i believe you spoke with someone yes i spoke with the voice of Star-Lord in the upcoming Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, and that would be Will Friedle. Great. So you've got all that to look forward to. We just wanted to give you a special intro, letting you know uh, what all was going on. And uh, thank you all for uh, following us and letting us make it to episode 200 of this podcast series. So, What's your, What was your favorite podcast number? I would say my absolute favorite was one seventeen. No, okay, all right. Let's just let's best. just go into the things that people actually want to listen to, namely uh, the creators and stars of our TV series. So, folks, stay tuned. Uh, coming up next, I believe we'll kick things off with uh, Mar- the cast of Marvel's Agent Carter, or not the cast of Marvel's Agent Carter, the executive producers, and we will go from there. So, stay tuned. Hello there, this week in Marvelites. This is Marvel.com editor Mark Strom here helping celebrate our 200th episode of This Week in Marvel. Today, or right now, I should say, I am in the uh, writer's offices for Marvel's Agent Carter, joined by Chris Dingus, Tara Butters, and Michelle Fazekas. Of course, three of our amazing executive producers for the series. So I know, just to start off with a little bit, I know we are still a ways away from Marvel's Agent Carter Season 2 premiering, but how's the uh, how's the Ryan going so far? Uh, it's going uh, actually weirdly very well. Like, I don't want to jinx it too much, oh, no. but <laughs> I know. Oh, now I ruined it. Uh, we are... The worst season ever now. We're starting uh, production at the end of August, um, and uh, we have, right now, like four scripts written. Um, The network has had knock on all the wood, um, minimal notes. They seem really happy. We're really excited about the story that we're telling, um, so... uh, and we're just happy to be back. It was so much fun the first time around that we really... It was almost so much fun that we were like, oh, it's not going to come back because no one can be that happy. <laughs> but so everyone was really thrilled to come back. Now, one thing that I know you guys have talked about elsewhere, but I don't think we've talked about yet, is uh, you 
have said that Whitney Frost will be a part of this season, but you're doing sort of an interesting take on her, which is more like a Hedy Lamarr-type uh, uh, character. And I was curious where the idea of that came from. Uh, this is Tara speaking. We, when we started talking about moving the show to Los Angeles, one of the things we really wanted to take advantage of was Hollywood, the old glamour of Hollywood. And so it made sense that Whitney Frost would be an actress. And when you read about Hedy Lamarr and you see all the amazing inventions that she came up with and most people have no idea, it seemed to kind of vibe very well with the story that we wanted to tell. Now, did you guys like know about Hay Lamar ahead of time? I had no idea I, who she was until I'd heard of, I'd heard I, of her. Yeah, yeah, and I had to. My husband had actually, when we started on Agent Carter, gave me a couple of books about Hay Lamar. Um, saying, on, on season one, or yeah, on season, okay. when, when he first started, like, oh, this is a really interesting person who was from that era. So that's. I, I think sort of I had always sort of filed that away, and you would you would think as you had heard I'd, of her. I'd heard of her and read about read about her before, and then when we were actually shooting, um, uh, Gigi Melton, our our wardrobe designer, our costume designer, um, came up, and she's she's obviously done a ton of research, and she had come across Hedy Lamarr and was really enthusiastically talking to me about her, and to a point where I was like. We'll do something with Hedy Lamar. I think Gigi's gonna punch me in the face. <laughs> so I was really happy we were able to do it uh, this year. Does she? So did Gigi? Since she was bringing her up so much, I mean, did she sort of look to? Is she sort of modeling uh, Whitney's wardrobe off of what Hedy Lamar did? I don't think so. It's more of just you know uh, an actress, a, a star of the time, and she was really just one day on set. She, we were just talking about it. Well. And as far as, like, sort of influences on how we're designing Whitney Frost, it's, it's we're looking at sort of the Veronica Lake or the Lana Turner, that sort of super, super glamorous, almost untouchable uh, uh, sort of Hollywood star, um, which I really love from that era. So, so, and what I love about telling a story from that era when you look at sort of film noir, which is we're, we're somewhat telling a, a film noir story and really embracing that type of storytelling and that type of shooting style even, um, you have like the glamour right up against the sort of crime and poverty and corruption. Uh, and so we're really inspired by a lot of those types of storytelling. Well, it's really—it's funny that you said she was one of the untouchable, like an untouchable movie star, because really, in 1947, the the Hollywood, the high-profile Hollywood people were uh, were kind of untouchable in Hollywood. The, yeah. the police force was small, and it was basically sort of they just looked after them and were kind of they kept them safe and, and covered up whatever they did. Yeah. No, I know. Like, I mean, at that time, didn't studios actually like employ? Fixers, I guess, would be yeah. the term. Just like guys who would go around and shut people up if they were talking about get rid of the dead hookers. <laughs> <laughs> All those unseemly things. Um, yeah, and I assume, of course, Whitney Frost's uh, face will be painted gold the entire season. <laughs> I will say we have an idea 
that we will have a, 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 a bit of an homage to that. She's not going to be wearing a mask, and we will not call her Madam Mask. Right. Um, but you'll the, the comic book fans who know uh, her as a comic book character won't be disappointed in how we're um, how we're portraying Whitney Frost. Um, it's uh, you know it's it's a very different sort of character origin, but you will see why she is Whitney Frost. Yeah. Also, our show is just far more grounded. Yeah. And then the the way we do our storytelling, we always try to have nods to the MCU whenever we can. But um, the fact is, we we also want to make it feel like anybody can watch. Yeah. And. Uh, actually, just going back to what we were talking about before with the uh, Hollywood of the times, as you guys are researching that time period and everything, like, do you sometimes just come across these crazy, insane stories of what these stars would like get away with, like we're talking about with the fixers and like all that? Um, you know, look, I mean, there's stories of love children and affairs and. You know, I mean, well, then there's like the the Fatty Arbuckle story yeah. where he was oh, yeah. accused yeah. of murder that he probably didn't no. commit. Right, no. he was just sort of framed for. It. No, I mean he was there, and mm-hmm. the fact was she she died of a medical condition, mm-hmm. um, but in his presence. Uh, yeah. and so it was one of those things where, but it was the sort of the. He was scapegoat. Yeah, and and also it was people really that sort of ultra religious right movement of. Being afraid of their children being influenced by films. It was, I think, right. yeah. it was a time right around when they were trying to clean Hollywood up. Yeah. And so this guy kind of became a scapegoat. Yeah. He, he, for all yeah. That. Was it the Hayes, Hayes Act or something? Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, it was right before. I, 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 re- I read about that sort of stuff online before we were doing this just because I'm a creep. And, uh, <laughs> so, yeah. I read Tinseltown. I, I like got into all, reading all oh, of those cool. books before. Or actually, I'm, st- I just, I'm still in the middle of. Not I finished Tinseltown. I'm reading another book, sort of a true life Hollywood scandals. That's awesome. It's fun. Do, I mean, given this new territory that you're playing with in season two in Los Angeles, everything you're talking about with the uh, crime and corruption, right up against and poverty, right up against such a glamorous lifestyle, um, it, it sounds. Because I've I've read a couple of the scripts now, and they're still very much in the you know fun adventure. You guys kept on touching on things like Indiana Jones for the first season, Mm -hmm. and it still feels very much like that. But you're right; there are those elements of sort of noir of these like darker undertones. Like, what is like? Are you ever concerned about making sure that like you don't lose that more fun tone? to the darkness or is it like is it an easy balancing act for you guys I have to say it would be so hard for us to lose that tone because we constantly come up with fun situations to put Peggy and Jarvis and yeah the fun usually comes first and and then 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 we we pull that back and add in more of the realism and stuff like that well and that's what is so great about this show is how Marcus and McFeely conceived it uh, in the pilot, um, and we really have have um, uh, embraced that. Is it blends genres, so you have drama, you have comedy, you have action and adventure, you have a little bit of science fiction, uh, and you can bounce between those things really easily. Just be, uh, and, and it, it, you know, I, I always, I, I think some people don't watch the show because they're. And I remember we were talking to a 
director who was like, well, I just don't really get the Marvel thing, so I don't think I want to direct the show. And it's like, I don't think people realize that this is a pretty grounded show. You, There are fantastical elements, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't think you have to be a comic book fan to like the show. I think you will get something more out of it if you're a comic book fan, but I, I don't think you need to be a genre fan. I don't think you need to love The Incredible Hulk. I think it's... Um, so I... I uh, I love how we can sort of jump between all those genres in one show. Are you saying the Incredible Hulk isn't showing up in this season? That'd be awesome, but we're not going to time travel, so I was no. so, so hoping for that Incredible Hulk cameo. She, she, she <laughs> Hulk smashes through time. <laughs> she Hulk. I love that. She, let's do She Hulk. Right. I would love to. <laughs> yeah, but we are definitely going more into the Marvel world this season. I would say, uh, you know, that we are, are seeing a little bit more of that um, with, within this show, and it doesn't feel like we're trying to jam it. It's actually pretty organic to mm-hmm. the story mm-hmm. that we're telling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally. And one of the things I'm most looking forward to with this is the fact that you know when you guys were filming season one, you were in New York, you couldn't use you know, locations because you're filming out here in Los Angeles. But it seems like moving it out here to L.A., particularly given <coughs> how many places here still look like they did in mm-hmm. the, uh, what, f- uh, 47, 48, yeah. that period. Um, are you guys looking forward to or planning on sort of tapping into any of those sort of like landmarks, any of that? Uh... I think we can say yes, but I think we probably can't say what. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for sure, it was it was that was a big reason to do it. Yeah. Um, also, actually, we should mention this: you guys are doing uh, Captain Marvel coming up soon. Yeah, Tara and I are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with Chris Anka, correct? Yes. All right. I couldn't remember if he just was doing the designs or if he was drawing it. weirdly and totally coincidentally also designed the Agent Carter poster that they had for uh, San Diego Comic-Con. Yep. Complete coincidence that it was the same guy. He's awesome. Have you guys seen any art coming in Mm -hmm. yet on that? Yeah. I don't know how far ahead you guys are. Uh, Just uh, actually very early in the process, so he's he's doing the layouts, and he's sending us character sketches, um, and it's super cool. (laughs) 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 You have the greatest laugh in the world. It is my favorite. Thank you. I once once had a laugh. A laugh off with uh, Ming Na from Shield because she also has a very similar laugh. So oh, that's great. Blake, who edits these podcasts, is actually on one of the podcasts with her, and he had to edit out a minute and forty-five seconds of just the two of us. Nope, I was. I, I feel like that was a bad choice. That was a terrible editing choice. <laughs> Um, oh, all right. So uh, enough of the distraction of it's my laugh. <laughs> all right, we, this can be arranged, Dingus. Get. <laughs> oh my! This this has uh, this has gone off the rails. Um, what were we even talking? About? Oh, Captain Marvel. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, with Captain Marvel. What's the prize? Do you get a similar feeling, I guess, from seeing the pencils coming in as you do from like the dailies coming in from your shows? Like, what what is that like? 
Actually, I, I, I find it, it's, it is different. Uh, it's really exciting because I just love seeing his interpretation of the script. And it's, I don't know why it feels like a different collaboration. Is, is it like you send your, you send the script out and then it's almost like the TV show comes back to you immediately? Yeah. With, because with a TV show, so you're quick. on set watching it all kind of happen. You kind of know what it's going to look like. And then with an artist, when they come back to you, you're just like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, because words that turned into a picture. Yeah, and, and because it's also, it comes back and forth a little bit more than television where it's sort of, you know, it's such an expensive medium that, it, you know, you get, the script goes out, yes, you're involved in production and um, who you cast, but then sometimes your dailies come back and go, well, that's not quite how I thought that was going to play. <laughs> but I also feel like because this is our first for foray into comics, Tara's done it before, I have not... Um, it was a very interesting experience because it was, I haven't felt this way in a long time where I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like, this is a totally new, but I like feeling that way because I feel like it's it's a challenge and I like learning new things. So we sort of turn in the script of like, this might be horrible. This might be the worst thing in the world. And then he starts to draw it and you're like, oh no, it's a comic book. It looks really great. <laughs> so, I mean, that, there's something so satisfying with someone. I've read it and it's not awesome. <laughs> don't he worry. Gave us don't worry, Captain Marvel fans. <laughs> well, you just don't know. We just didn't know. We're like, it might be terrible, but no, we got notes, and everyone was happy. So I'm happy. Um, but it was just the the when you see it drawn and you see your words drawn. It is a it's a, it is a different experience than seeing dailies. Like there there's some. It's a it, weirdly a little bit more special, mm -hmm. I think. And Chris is such a fantastic artist. He actually. Uh, one of the few pieces of like original or commissioned art I have is a uh, friend of mine who's friends with Chris had him draw a picture of Daredevil for me because Daredevil is my favorite character. But I also am deathly afraid of squirrels. Like I'm convinced that they are little alien creatures here to take over the world. They do carry the plague. Yes. I like them, but they carry the th plague. They carry the plague, <laughs> yes. So, so she had him draw Daredevil and he did that and she's like, oh, that's great, that's great. Now... Can you just draw a squirrel sitting on Daredevil's shoulder? <laughs> so I have a picture, an awesome picture of Daredevil with a squirrel sitting on his photo, uh, sitting on his shoulder, just like looking out at me, and it—I love it, and it also creeps me out. <laughs> and, That's uh, perfect. <laughs> I like your friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, I think you know. Uh, you guys obviously have to get back to writing uh, the fabulous second season. So uh, we will let you guys go. Uh, you guys, listeners, stick around because we'll be bringing more from the 200th episode of This Week in Marvel. But for now, thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Happy 200 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Chris. All right. We'll be back shortly, guys. Bye. Hello out there. This Week in Marvel. This is Marvel.com Assistant Editor Patrick Cavanaugh coming to you from Marvel's West Coast office headquarters, if you will. We're celebrating the 200th episode of This Week in Marvel, and I brought a special guest with me. So today I'm joined by... Hi, I'm Will Friedle, and I'm the voice of Star-Lord in the new Guardians of the Galaxy cartoon on Disney XD. Let's have a round of applause. Sweet. Hold for we applause. Can, we can have that in, right? <laughs> we have the technical capabilities. Uh, yeah, we have the voice of Star-Lord. This is definitely one of the most like anticipated series that we so many people are excited 
for uh, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, how did how did you get involved with this series? Luck. Uh, straight up luck. I would love to say it was something else, but, you know, this is one of those... The, the film came out and it was so huge. Um, by the way, arguably my favorite movie of the last ten years. I yeah. think I saw it three times in the theater. Just so much fun. Um, so we... Uh, you know, it was a regular voiceover audition, but you weren't allowed to know what it was. And a select group of us were brought in. You uh, had to sign agreements before you were even given the, the, the paperwork. And then you got to, you were handed a, literally it was, it was very cool. It was like the, the secret underground uh, uh, deep throat kind of in the parking lot thing where they slid the manila folder across to you <laughs> and you opened it up and there it was, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. So I went in and, uh, and read for it like everybody else, you know, just uh, anticipating how great this show was going to be and was, was very lucky in that they selected me to, to play uh, a Star Lord. Yeah, and so so you went into the audition just knowing that it was a, a Marvel series, and then I'm not sure we even knew it was a Marvel series. Oh, really? I think it was just there's a super. You know what you hear is a super secret audition, and uh, you go in, and some auditions you go in, and there's you know ten people there, and that's that's a lot. Uh, I think there were three of us. Yeah. So it was one of those things where it was like, okay, this is some, something's up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and if I if I remember correctly, I believe even Chris Pratt was auditioning for the role, and you beat him yeah. out. Because <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah. yeah I'm sure, sure. Have fun with that movie thing. <laughs> uh, we think we know who we want to. Yeah. Start with. I seriously doubt that. How great was he in the film, though? I'm seriously. You got to take a second to talk about. Man. Just talk about knocking a character just out of the park. He was phenomenal. Yeah. That's. Yeah. I was. Uh, I actually just watched it again. I think. Uh, for one of the first times since I saw it in theaters. And that scene, just in, with the movie, uh, when Guardians of the Galaxy flashes on screen, and nobody in the audience really has much idea of who the Guardians are. Like, nope. Of course, some people do. But to just boldly say, hey, we don't care that you don't know who we are. And by the dancing end of this movie, the whole... Oh, oh, forget it. Perfect perfect intro for the character. Yeah, yeah it really was. And, and you said that you know you liked that movie so much. What... Uh, uh, what has been your connection with Marvel since we're celebrating this massive, you know, 200th episode? How, what has role has Marvel played in, in your life? You know, uh, Marvel has played quite a role in my life. Um, you know, it, it, everything from, from you know, obviously Guardians of the Galaxy, which is, is what we're focusing on now, which is great. But, uh, you know, I was Deadpool on Ultimate Spider-Man, and I've gotten to do a, a number of episodes of Ultimate Spider-Man. And... Um, uh, some things for X Men here and there. So I mean, there's there's definitely been Marvel in my past, which yeah. is which is great. But I'm relatively new to the to the Marvel world. It's only been in the last you know five or six years that I really uh, am over on this side now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so like. As a kid, were you were you interested in Marvel? Were you interested in superheroes? You know, I didn't find superheroes until I was older. I was a fantasy junkie as a kid. I oh, still yeah, am. yeah. So I was into, you know, uh, especially when I was younger, reading Piers Anthony and, and C.S. Lewis and, um, you know, even Douglas Adams and books like that. Right. Uh, so I, that, that was my foray, people. I didn't really get into um, kind of comic books and that side of what is still really fantasy mythology – um, until I was older. Yeah. And then when you do and you – I thought it was a great kind of um, intro into the world as opposed to just picking up comic books and starting there. Starting with the fantasy background and then going into comic books and seeing how right. that's been incorporated was pretty wonderful. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I am now fully addicted. I'm, I've literally just started with all, with all this stuff. And, uh, again, when you – that was one of the things that was so genius about Guardians of the Galaxy, about the movie, is that 
like you said, most people didn't know anything about it. So they're coming in completely fresh. It's a brand new way to look at soup, quote unquote superheroes. Yeah. So I'm sure a bunch of people did what I did, where then you just want to learn everything you can about it because it was so cool. And then when we started the show, um, you know, you're really starting to learn the backstories and they've released shorts now on, right. on iTunes and yep. that have started to come out, which really get into every character's kind of backstory, um, which is the stuff I love. I love the yeah. world building stuff, yeah. you know, starting with a blank page and building it up from there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, we're we're amazingly psyched about the stuff we've seen so far and can't wait for the show to premiere. So I think the first the first episode is on September 1st um, yeah, the, as like a, uh, the, a, a preview. The the 5th, September 5th. Is it the 5th? Is is yeah. Okay, yeah. the 5th is the preview, okay. Um, but you know better than I do. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're very excited about that. The stuff we've seen so far is just phenomenal. Yeah, so. and it, it is, it's tough because, uh, you know, growing up, obviously kids are all aware of superheroes. They're just aware that sure. they exist even if they aren't following specific storylines. And since the movies have been coming out, uh, you know, Marvel has made it so much more accessible. Sure. Oh, you just saw this movie. Here's the thing that you can, you know, here's issue one kind of tied into that. Yeah. So I know exactly what you mean when you talk about like, yeah, you're a kid and you're kind of just aware of it, but it's tough to get into. And kids these days just have it so much, so much easier. They do. Marvel has also been absolutely brilliant at tying all the movies together. Yeah. Where it's not just, hey, here's one standalone movie, here's another stand. It's look at, you. this movie folds into that. I mean, it, Marvel, to me, really started the, uh, the idea, at least when I was growing up as a kid, um, of sitting through the entire credits yeah. at the end to see what happened. That didn't happen. The film <laughs> ended, the credits rolled, and you were right. out the door before the director's name came on the screen. Uh, Marvel made it where it, the film ends and nobody leaves. Yeah. Everybody is sitting there to watch what happens next to see how it's going to tie into the next film. I mean, it's genius. And they're doing it with, with the, you know, the animated series as well. Everything's tied in, the, the, the comic books, the graphic novels. It's, they talk about building a world. I mean, these guys, have, they've known what they've done. Right, it's yeah. pretty phenomenal how they're making it, as you said, accessible to everybody. And it, it, is, it was such a gamble. Like, we, we take it for granted how successful all that stuff was. But thinking of back on, you know, like the first time you saw – uh, uh, Iron Man yeah. and Nick Fury comes on the screen. Spoiler alert: Nick Fury's in <laughs> yeah. at the very end of Iron Man. Exactly. And Spoiler right, alert: right, Rosebud's yeah. a sled. Yeah, yeah. All those Marvel-related <laughs> yeah. things. Exactly. Let's get all those spoilers out of the way. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, the Bruce first... Willis has been dead the whole time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> nice. Snape and Dumbledore. Something Snape, happens. With something them. happens with them. Yeah. Darth yeah. is Luke's father. We're giving it <laughs> yes. all away. Yes. Give it all away. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was just such a roll of the dice to to do something like that, and now it's clearly paid off pretty well and you can't walk down the street without seeing someone in a Iron Man, Captain America, Absolutely. Black Widow t-shirt or something. And it was also, I remember when that first one, when it was the Iron Man thing, I left. Oh yeah? You know, I was one of those people that left because right. I'm not a, wasn't a big internet guy at the time, wasn't big on social media, and then it was, I would get calls from my friend like, man, how about the thing after the credits? And I'd be like, well, what are you talking <laughs> So I had to go back and watch yeah. it again, and from that moment on, it's like, I'm never leaving the theater never, until ever the person comes in and is vacuuming. That's when I know. That's my signal. It's like, okay, there's nothing else now. Somebody's actually yeah. vacuuming my aisle. I'm good to go. Yeah. But crazy. Um, and so uh, uh, let's talk a, a little bit more about uh, the animated series. Okay. So as you're approaching the role, how how far after, like, having seen Guardians of the Galaxy mm -hmm. did you start recording? Guardi if memory serves, because it's not, you know, animated series take a while from recording exactly, to yeah. getting on the air. It's usually about a year from the time you record, if not right. even a little longer, year to year to 12, you know, 16 months maybe, 12 to 16 months. Um, so if memory serves, when we first 
started auditioning and really got together as a cast and started recording, Guardians was still in the theater. Oh, really? Um, it might have been right at the tail end of them being in the yeah. theater, but it was still there. Uh, so it was all, you know, all of us sitting down. I'm like, yeah, did you see it? Oh, of course we saw it. It's yeah. incredible. And then you get to read the script, and then you hear that they're, you know, uh, a lot of the music is going to be the same, and the vibe is the same, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we were so excited going in, and then the realization hits you of, wow, we're jumping into something really big here. Yeah. And the last thing that I want to do is a bad Chris Pratt impression. <laughs> right. Because, I mean, that's you really what you can fall into is you've got you've seen this brilliant performance on screen. And it's one of those things where you kind of say, I, wow, this could be tough for me because how do you follow that? And the only thing I can come up with is you can't. You can't yeah. do a Chris Pratt impression. It just won't work. Right. He's Chris Pratt. You've got to do this your way. Um, the humor's the same. The kind of the vibe is the same. But it would have just sounded lame if I just tried to be a bad Chris Pratt. <laughs> right. So yeah. we made sure that that didn't happen. And, and hopefully it works. We're, we're, we're praying it does because the stuff we've seen so far is great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I've seen, you know, most of the, the shorts already. And it's it's super fun stuff. Yeah. It's got still got that 70s kind of color and the almost like a Johnny Quest kind of look to it. But yeah. modernized. Yeah. And it's just totally cool. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I'm glad you brought up, like, that you're not just trying to be Chris Pratt. Because that's what I was curious about is, again, even though the movie brought these characters to the the mm -hmm. mainstream, there's a long history of Star-Lord and the rest of the Guardians yeah. in comics. So I was curious how much of it, uh, how much of your approach to the character is you saying, uh, uh, I want to take influences from this live-action version versus, well, this is kind of like the essence that I've gotten from the character from the comic books. Sure. Is it you're just kind of developing your your yeah it's a brand one of those new guy things, yeah it's it's a brand new guy but it also is you want to have flavors of both I mean it, for instance when you talked about the live action version Chris Pratt has phenomenal comic timing and it's just the the, the lilt that he carries to the character you want to kind of be able to capture some of that because you, comic timing is not often something you can get on the page in a comic book right so you can get the witty dialogue and you can understand what he's going for and kind of the snide almost snarky guy but to actually hear it live action so you wanted to kind of combine the two of those things if you could and then at the same time stay away from both of them entirely right uh, it was a t it's a tough line to cross so so hopefully I've been I've been skirting that line as much as I can and so so say it's the day of your recording session um, how do you prepare to become Star-Lord for those few hours what what kind of mentality do you get into is it stuff you read is it warm-ups is it a physicality is it music you know what it is it's relying on my it's gonna sound very odd but it's true it's relying almost entirely on my history of being a little brother Oh yeah, um, you know I'm the youngest of three, and the 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 little brother always has that kind of snide, snarky kind of exactly what we're talking about, and it's just the consummate little brother. So I, I, that's kind of how I would prepare for it. It's also one of the first roles I've ever done in my entire life where it is completely and totally my voice. Right. I don't go deeper. I don't go higher. I don't put any kind of inflection on it whatsoever. It is more me than anything I've ever done before. And I like to think I have that same kind of snarky sensibility. Um, I like the quips and the one-liners and stuff like that. And I always have. So um, I, it was odd for me, though, to sit in front of the microphone for the first time and say, wow, I'm, I'm really just being me. Uh, you know, there's no no lilt, no anything. I'm not right. trying to do the deep hero voice. Yeah. You're not trying to do the big cartoony voice. Yeah. You're just just talking um so that was tough for me the first the first episode especially yeah, yeah. And, and does that uh uh you know embodying that 
Star Lord snark. Does that then, when you leave the studio, does that sometimes carry over into like you're just a little bit punchier and people are just a yeah. little bit like, all right, go go tone it down. Yeah, and- it does. It does because the the writing is so phenomenal. It really is. Um, the 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 as good as the writing was in the film, the right it really carries over to the animated series. Um, it is one long arc, the whole story. So you're really following these guys on this kind of uh, intergalactic treasure hunt, for lack of a better uh, phrase, and. Uh, it, it does. You kind of you, you you embody this character for the four or five hours you're in the recording, and you do kind of walk out snarky a little bit. So yeah, it's it's nice to tone it down. But you see, you know, when you sit with some of the fellow actors that you're working with, you know, it's it's myself and Vanessa Marshall, um, Kevin Michael Richardson, uh, David Sobolov, and uh, uh, Trevor Duvall. You look at somebody like you know we've, we've heard people say because people haven't actually watched the series yet something like oh Kevin Michael Richardson all he does is say I am Groot. So why doesn't he record it once and then they just put <laughs> just it in everywhere it. else? Yeah. And it's one of those things where when you see it, you realize how brilliant he is because every single I Am Groot is different right. and means something different. And you know exactly what he's talking about. It's, with three words, one of the best performances I've ever seen any voiceover actor ever give. Yeah. Um, and it was the same thing in the film where it was, you know, he said, I Am Groot at one time. It'd make you laugh. He'd say, I Am Groot, and you wanted to cry. It was, it was pretty incredible. So yeah. um, there's a lot that this show is going to have to offer when it comes to that kind of stuff. I, I can't wait. And it's also just a great foray into the world of the Guardians that maybe people still aren't entirely familiar with. Right. And uh, how, how many of your recording sessions were with your, your fellow cast members versus how often you might be in the booth alone? I, I don't think... I think maybe I recorded one by myself. Oh, really? Oh, we did everything together. Oh, wow. We have been a solid group um, since episode one, since yeah. the pilot. Uh, we clicked right away. We all kind of became our characters. And uh, I remember we did, because, you know, you, some shows take a little while to mesh as kind of a, a group. I don't care if it's live action or animation. It might take a little while to hit your stride and really feel the chemistry between you. We looked at each other after the pilot and went, oh, okay, I think we got something here. Because we really got along very well. Um, acted together very well, uh, already knew each other's timing, which is something that's kind of odd. Right. Um, but it just, it really just worked. You know, Kevin and I have done, this is our 1500th show together <laughs> yeah. um, kind of thing. But, uh, you know, Vanessa and I have worked together. But uh, I'd never worked with Trevor Duvall, who's relatively new to um, the, he's Canadian, is re- relatively new to the American side of the business. And this guy, it, wait till you hear this guy. He's, yeah. He plays Rocket. He's so ridiculously talented. Um, uh, Vanessa Marshall, uh, Dave, David as Drax. I mean, it's just everybody really nails their part. So I just hope I'm holding my own with the rest of them, frankly, because they really are phenomenal. Well, uh, we're uh, we've actually been talking to the other cast members. We're about to have an intervention. <laughs> that That's what this is. We're an... all just really disappointed nice. with what we, you've been doing. Chris Pratt is coming in. He's redubbing <laughs> all your stuff. Nice. See that? <laughs> see that Guardians of the Galaxy statue over in the corner? That's uh, that's actually Chris Pratt. He's been here. Nice. He's been he here got the some, whole time. He got some time off from just his a tap Jurassic on the shoulder universe or whatever that he's been he's been doing. Oh wow. Um, and and you have you have this long, uh, like I said, just your rap sheet of all of these characters that you've played in all these different uh, uh, universes. Supposedly you've played superheroes in other universes. I'm not entirely familiar with that. <laughs> it's just some stuff I read on the internet. Uh, but with these these vast, uh, just all these characters that you've played, yeah. 
what uh, what do you try and focus on to create a new character? Like with like you said with Star Lord, you focus on that little brother yeah. aspect of your personality. Yeah, is that typically how you try and develop these new characters? You know, I, a lot of the times you kind of have to let the material dictate what you're going to do. I mean, if you are you know, a, a a big, you know, rough and tumble kind of superhero who's got the, the jaded past and that, you know, that's going to lead you in one direction, not only uh, in voice quality and tone, but in kind of uh, uh, attitude and temperament. Whereas, again, Star-Lord is so much fun to play because he's the, the only character I can I can relate him to that I've played in the past um, is, is another Disney character, is Ron Stoppable. Oh, Kim right, Possible. yeah. So it, was, it seems to me like Ron Stoppable has grown... If, if Ron Stoppable was plucked off of Earth... At age eight, like like Peter was, yeah. and brought and taken by, by you know by the Ravagers and 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 raised like that. I, it's how I see Ron Stoppable growing up. It's that perfect combination of one moment he's the hero and the next moment he's the goofball. Yeah. Uh, so you know people have, have said the other universes, the other characters you played, stuff like that. How does Peter? Re- it's it, Ron Stoppable is yeah. really the only yeah. one I can come back to that's similar because he has that heart of gold. Wants to get the laugh, but you, he's fiercely loyal. If you need him, he's there for you. And uh, and just loves being finally part of a family again. So, And I think that's, again, I it, not not because we're it, this is Marvel and it's Disney and all that stuff that I'm right. referring just to. Yeah. It really, I've been asked this question a hundred times, and it's the only character I can think of that's similar in any yeah. way is Ron Stoppable. And, uh, again, talking about uh, you know how many different roles you've had, what was – like, what was that first time you went and did uh, a voiceover for a character mm-hmm. to then walk out? And did something click that said, I want to do as many characters over the next, you know, decade, however yeah. long? Be- Some, yeah. Something clicked the second I sat down in the chair. Yeah. Um, I The first show I did was a show called Batman Beyond. So the very first role I ever played was Batman. Um, it, it, tough role to walk into. Uh, luckily for me, I was not Bruce Wayne Batman. I was Terry <laughs> McGinnis Batman, which is certainly different. But uh, Kevin Conroy, who, who d- does the voice of Batman right. and everything, um, really took me under his wing. And yeah, little things, sit up straight, you know, open your diaphragm. I'd never been behind a microphone like this before in my life. Right. Uh, so it was. It, we Voiceover and I found each other very quickly. And I absolutely loved it. And, you know, uh, my best friend Jason Marsden was was big into the, this side of the industry as well. Uh, and he was really pushing me to do this, too. And you do. You just it just clicked. I j- absolutely loved it. And that's that sold it for me. I, went, I mean, I uh, until very recently, again, on a Disney show, uh, when I went back on Girl Meets World, I hadn't been on camera in 15 years. Right. Because I just a number. I mean, a number of reasons. But uh, but the one very important reason was that I love voiceover so much. Right. It's the, it's the purest form of acting there can be people say stage is the purest well in stage you still have are wearing makeup you still have to run for your costume change in, in, in voiceover it's you and a microphone and that is it yeah so you are acting completely and totally with your voice it is as stripped down as you can possibly get you you record it like a 30s radio play um, you go from page one to the end. Sometimes you're playing multiple characters. I will argue with any actor out there that says anything other than voiceover is the purest form of acting that right. there is. There, there's nothing. It's just you and the mic. So, um, yeah, we found each other. We yeah. really did. It was Lassie and Timmy. We ran into each other's arms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, also, you know, uh, you mentioned Girl Meets World. And, uh, uh, you know, obviously you were huge for being on Boy Meets World. Right. 
like what what is it like for you to have people come up to you and have connected so much with the show that you did you know 15 20 years ago like yeah. that is a cult classic again so much so that 15 years later they brought it back like yeah. between boy meets world and all these voices what is it like to have like such an integral part of so many people's it's crazy uh, uh, you know <laughs> coming of age yeah it's crazy um what i've started to get because you know you know we started boy meets world in 93 um uh, long time ago uh you get little flashes of boy meets world for instance coming here we're on the we're on the, the wonderful disney lot right beautiful yeah. downtown burbank and i pulled into the gate and it's the same security guard yeah. <laughs> norm is still here yeah yeah i got out of the car gave him a big hug gave me a big <laughs> hug um but all of our fans that really started with us, not all, but most of our fans that really started with us were kids. And so now they've grown up and they're adults. And I've gotten more and more, you, you know, hey, man, you were my childhood. Yeah. I've gotten that more and more in the last five years than I ever have in my life. And it's such an unbelievably amazing thing to hear to know that we mattered. I mean, we mattered to people. Um, and not just for Boy Meets World. I mean, Boy Meets World was was huge, obviously, but Kim Possible was yeah, another yeah. one that people really, really liked, Batman Beyond. Um, I, I, it was the, the work we did mattered to people, and that is incredible to me because especially as a professional actor, you're lucky if you get to do one thing. You're And you're, you, you are hugely lucky and hopefully really thankful if you get to do one thing as a professional actor because a lot of people, most people never get the opportunity. And when right. you do, you hold on to it and you say, man, thank you. But for it to last as long as it did and for it to mean as much as it did is a blessing every day. I mean, there's really no other way to look at it. So you kind of have to thank whoever you want to thank, whatever yeah. you want to yeah. thank for the opportunities that you've been given. And it's one of those things where it's I you look in the mirror every morning and just go, man, this is, I'm one of the luckiest guys ever. Yeah. And, and from what I've seen of this Guardian show and just how much kids have connected with uh, those characters oh, on yeah. screen to know that, you know, every – Sunday morning, they're going to be able to tune in and see the further adventures yeah. of Rocket and, and, Peter and Rocket, and, especially for kids. Yeah, I mean, they just gravitate right towards them. They're the perfect yeah. Saturday or Sunday morning cartoons for kids. You get Groot and Rocket, awesome. Yeah, and uh, uh, so to kind of just wrap things up, kind of going forward, uh, what are some of the like Marvel things that you're excited to see, uh, other than obviously Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, with a sneak preview Saturday, September 5th yes. at 9 p.m. on Disney XD, yes. with a series premiere on Saturday, September 26th 26th. at 9.30 Yes. So other than that, of course. Uh, I am uh, very excited to see the second Guardians movie. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's one of those things where I, it's, it's, you're kind of hard-pressed when, when a Marvel superhero movie comes out to really go, yeah, I'm not really excited about that one at all. Yeah. I mean, there, that's rare if yeah. it happens at all. I mean, there might be some you're more excited about than others, but very rarely do you go, yeah, I don't want to see that one. I mean, you know, it's Civil War, everything. I just, I can't wait. Yeah, it's, I it's, mean, I've, I've only been here for a year, and it has become just like Marvel is just a stamp of quality. Yeah. There are going to be different, you know, the outer space fantasy might connect more with you, or yep. like the gritty spy stuff of Captain America Winter Soldier. Like, Yep. How great was that movie, by the way? It's so good. It's such a good movie. It's so good. But yeah, I walked out of Guardians, and I was like, oh, well, now I have a new favorite. Exactly, like, yeah, is... and you kind of do that every time. It's like, well, now that one topped the last one. Hey, that one topped the last Avengers. I mean, you just, they have captured not only the kind of really cool, gritty stuff, but the humor and just once again having fun in yeah. movie theater. They really did. And, you know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I'm real tight with like Kevin Feige and 
<laughs> all of the really important people. Uh, so I can put a good word in if you could play a live action version oh, of wow. any Marvel superhero. Oh, wow. And there... don't say Black Widow because okay. I know it's on the tip of your tongue. It is. But I was going to say, is there an out of shape man? Because <laughs> that's what I would be. No, let's see. If Wow. What, what, if I could play any live action. Wow. Man, that's tough. You know who I would love to play? I'm going to pull one out for you. Let's hear it. Who I would love to play because I always thought he was totally cool. I would play Gambit from the X-Men. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's, he's some, he, he's a character that people have been dying yeah. to see. And I myself is one of them. I yeah. mean, I think he is just awesome. So well, if they want an out of shape <laughs> gambit who will, you know, he will throw some, some, you know, make something explosive and then throw it and then wheeze because he's out of shape. <laughs> I'm the guy they should call. Well, you know, I've got a surprise for you. We've uh, we've got a cowl waiting, the, the the headdress that covers your ears. We've Good. got one waiting in the next room. I hope so. it's one size fits all. <laughs> well, Will, thank you so much for uh, stopping by and chatting with us. Thank you for having me. Remember, Guardians of the Galaxy, Disney XD, and if you want to follow me on Twitter at, at Will Fordell, I'm going to be posting some really cool Guardian stuff when it comes out. Get some sneak previews, some some cool stuff that we can uh, we can let you guys uh, know about ahead of time. So. Absolutely, definitely. Do that thank you for tuning in everybody and now i'm going to throw it to whatever is happening next <laughs> hi there everyone just wanted to remind you about our sponsor for this episode squarespace.com where you can build professionally designed sites regardless of skill level with no coding required it's intuitive with easy to use tools and squarespace has state-of-the-art technology powering your site to ensure security and stability it's trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world, and it starts at $8 a month. And with that, you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. Hello there this week in Marvelites. This is Marvel.com editor Mark Strom, and I am here with Marvel's Jessica Jones herself, Kristen Ritter. How are you doing, Kristen? I'm fabulous. How are you? Pretty good. So now I think we can say you've wrapped, Jessica. I have Jessica. wrapped. So I've you been have... home for one week. <laughs> now that it's all done, I mean, have you had a chance to really see much of the uh, uh, finished series or any cuts or anything like that? No, I haven't. I've seen a few things at ADR and mm-hmm. a few things that we had to match for continuity. And the stuff that I did see was so rad that it almost brought me to tears. I'm <laughs> so excited about the show and, and I'm excited to see what it looks like. You know, after they sprinkle the Marvel's fairy dust all over it. I, I, I do love watching it, and it's always, like, these random things with just text over it saying, like, VFX, this will happen. Right, right. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to see it all. Um, So I guess one question I had sort of going into this was what initially interested you in taking on the role of, of Jessica? Because I think it's a lot more... Uh, well, maybe with the exception of Jane from from Breaking Bad, a lot more intense, uh, a lot more intense side of you than I think we've seen before. Yeah, you know, and that was that was the big draw for me, and that's what what had me interested most at first. You know, the character development for this character and how 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 well she's been drawn and developed by Melissa and Marvel. Um, obviously, even in the original comics, we just took it so much further, is a rare thing to find. Even if it's been a part available to me or not, this is not something I've ever seen before. 
um, it's the kind of role where I got to do and use everything I've got. So it was the biggest acting challenge I've I've ever had in my whole career. Yeah, and I think you're right. You know, I've I've seen a, a few cuts of episodes now, and you have yes. And what and have it, you seen? It's it, I've I've seen I've seen quite a bit actually. And and what impresses me most about it is not just that this is a show unlike any other Marvel thing I've seen, but it's also a show unlike any other show I've seen. I totally seen. agree. And they, that's that's the really exciting part is, you know, Marvel has 9,000 characters or whatever, and we've seen them do the big movies, and, and really this is them crossing into a whole other genre. Yeah. So that's an exciting thing to be a part of um, because our show is a psychological thriller, and it's dark and gritty. It's very different from the movies. But you take all that aside and – even just taking the superpowers out of it, this is still a very complex, uh, you know, very unique and different character. And the show is is unlike anything I've seen on television. The mm-hmm. character in the form of a female is unlike anything I've ever seen on television. Yeah. And it, it's such it, – like you say, it is a very intense show. It deals with, it, as fans of the comics, I'm sure, are well aware, some very – uh, deep and and troubling like emotional uh, issues. Yeah, she Jessica Jones has been through a lot, and she is totally traumatized. And she is really just trying to make a buck to buy whiskey and stay alive, and that is it. She isn't really interested in participating in any social communities. She has one friend. She keeps her world very small because that's how she can remain in control. If it's just her and just her friend, she doesn't have to worry about all the other. All the other and the character in the comics was so, so specific and so funny at times and so hard um, and just has this edge to her that it was just very appealing to me and, and a blast to play and really dive into. And that humor and that wit of Jessica's that you yeah. just touched upon that was in the comics, uh, how do you go about sort of, because again, you're dealing with some very heavy issues, how do you go about sort of trying to inject that humor in there without making it seem irreverent or like you weren't uh, uh, handling the issues appropriately? You know, everybody needs moments of levity. In in darkness, you have to find humor. And I think that that's sort of just how Jessica, it's how Jessica views the world. She'll I'll throw something away. She's very sarcastic, which is something I, I like to, I'm sarcastic as well. Um, so it's just like about injecting the right amount and not taking it too far. We don't, it's not like, it's not like we don't understand the gravity of a, of a very tense situation because there's a joke there. We just have the joke there to take it even further. Mm-hmm. And I mean, at this point, have you, uh, did you get a chance? Because I think Daredevil dropped right when you were in the middle of production. So I don't even know if you really even have even had a chance to see much of that. I hadn't had, I didn't have time to even like wash my hair on the weekends. (laughs) (laughs) It was a, it was weird. Wait, you got weekends? I got about a day. (laughs) I got a day off um, if I was lucky. But yeah, I, I, I was really excited to watch Daredevil because were a part of the same, you know, bigger picture and mm-hmm. the same big, you know, plan for Netflix and Marvel. And But the shows are very different. And um, so I didn't want to, like, watch Daredevil and then be like, oh, should I be doing this or should I be doing that? Or, wow, our show is so different. It's just so I, so I decided just to watch it as a viewer. And, and that was such – I mean, it's such a bad show. The uh, – how it's shot, it looks so cinematic – as does Jessica Jones. I mean, it's basically like these are 13-hour movies. Yeah. 
And of course, you already got a chance in your own series to interact with one of the future defenders, yeah. uh, Luke, played by Mike Coulter. Yeah. Um, what was that like, sort of introducing that character in your series? Because I really like, without spoiling anything, how they handled it. It really didn't feel like they were introducing this like other major character from the universe but he's more a supporting character in your yeah. story yeah luke cage you can't really explore jessica jones and who she is and her arc without talking about luke cage because he was such a huge part of her life and their relationship is so unique and so specifically them um and and he he he's in about half of the series maybe less um uh and he I, the scenes with him are, are some of my favorite scenes because I think we have beautiful chemistry together. I really like him. I like Mike Coulter as a person. We would uh, really pick on each other and, <laughs> and bicker and banter like brother and sister uh, and had a lot of fun with each other, which is important when you're doing a really dark, gritty, edgy show in like warehouses and alleyways. It's, it's great when you can find humor with your co-stars. And at the end of the day, I always knew that Mike had my back whether we're doing stunts together or we have to do, you know, love-making scenes, which I'm not very comfortable with. Like, he was always there in the character, but then I always knew that there was Mike a little over there just to make sure that I'm taken care of. And mm -hmm. it, I really appreciated everything that he brought to the table. Mm -hmm. And what about, uh, of course, one of the other big characters in the show, Kilgrave, yeah. uh, played by David Tennant. The incomparable David Tennant. <laughs> I can't now, watching his scenes, I have to ask... I can picture him doing either one of two things as soon as cut was yelled. Either staying in character as Kilgrave or becoming crazy, super goofy. Would, were either of those what would happen? No, I would never describe him as crazy, super goofy. He is a total pro. He is a joy to be around. He is a very kind person, a very supportive scene partner. One of the best scene partners I've ever had in my whole career. And I've had a few great ones. Mm -hmm. And David Tennant blew my mind day in and day out with not only his his acting ability, but his professionalism and, and his general attitude. Just like a good guy. Such a great person. And, you know, without really... I don't know. The, I don't know if we can really say much about this, but how would you describe sort of Jessica and Kilgrave's uh, animosity? I, I was going to say relationship, but I don't feel like the relationship is the right word. Um, I mean, particularly since, you know, is it much like we see in the comics or do you guys sort of twist that around a little? It's all twisted, you know, twisted around and, and expanded on and developed you know, in the beginning, I was reading all the comic books, and I was emailing Jeff Loeb when I got to the end, like, I need more. What's next? What's next? And he said, while I appreciate your, you know, voracious appetite for all the alias comics and everything that Jessica Jones is, she will be as developed. Her story will be as developed for television as she is in the comic books. Right. So we've definitely expanded on things. Um, so, of course, that relationship is what it was in the comic books, and... There are elements there, but it is it's different, and their whole dynamic and relationship is is just a roller coaster, like those really very, crappy a, roller coasters. A, a very like, sick and twisted the ones roller that, like, coaster. Make you throw up afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Flip you upside down and blow fire at you, like the really really awful ones. <laughs> really bad roller coaster. You're kind of scared it's going to fall apart halfway through, and you're going to plummet to your death. Totally, totally. Uh. 
<laughs> and of course, you know, the nice thing about this, I think, is that, you know, the the Kilgrave arc in the comics is fascinating to me, but there's only five issues in the comics, whereas now we really have 13 hours totally. to play with it. Yeah, 13 it, hours to, to follow that storyline, but also follow what jessica goes through what he means to her and, and how she comes out the other end yeah and also a bunch of other interesting supporting subplots that we probably can't talk about exactly <laughs> but look for that soon kids yeah i mean what i what i can say and will say about the cast of the show is it is top notch and i'm incredibly grateful that marvel and melissa and jeff surrounded me with this level of actors not only were they so special as actors, but as human beings. It was just like a great group of people. And I, I felt very, very privileged that they surrounded me with such top-notch talent. Yeah. And you keep on mentioning uh, the comics and all the research you did yeah. uh, going into this. So even before you started shooting, did you feel like you had a really strong sense of Jessica? And then once you started, was there a little bit of collaboration between you and Melissa and Jeff? Absolutely. Where you were saying, like, you know, I feel like Jessica should really do this. Oh, absolutely. Especially about halfway through. Like, I would, I, it got to the point where I'm going to understand Jessica's point of view, how she would re respond to something, how she would react to something and be able to track her journey better than anybody else because mm -hmm. I'm living in her skin with that, with nonstop. Um, but in the beginning... You know, I did a lot of prep work, um, not just reading the comics, but breaking down. I had the first four scripts before we started mm -hmm. and breaking them down over and over and over again. And I was training, physically training five days a week and prepping for this in a way that I've never prepped before. And uh, that's saying a lot because I, I rely on prep work. That's, mm -hmm. that's sort of my thing. And I just worked my butt off to sort of prove that I was the person for the part. It was worth the investment and prove that, that they uh, – found the right girl in jessica jones that's i was I, I worked my ass off yeah We're talking about the physical training you yeah. did because of course i see us uh uh and there are a number of stunts uh yeah. in it w did you perform a lot of those I yourself did. and like what was that training like yeah so i had to like pack on some muscle and a little bit of weight just to just to get myself in a different physicality mm -hmm. early on so I was training boxing and, and things like that, weight training, strength training, just to give myself a different posture, a different physicality, and also to make my body strong so that I could endure the stunts and not get hurt. Mm -hmm. um, getting hurt is inevitable. You're doing <laughs> yes. a lot of stunts. It's a numbers game, and I did. But for the most part, um, I did a lot of my own stunts. I didn't do the very dangerous things that we have a wonderful stunt double and i love her and she did a great job no um, no hanging off the side of a plane as it takes off for you no i wouldn't that <laughs> that would be a dj or up um, but uh yeah i did a lot of the fight sequences um i i accidentally punched a few people for real um you know you get in there and you just go for it luckily like even if i punch you it's you're not going to is you're going to be fine <laughs> as Kristen as Jessica Jones not so much but um the stunts ended up being one of my very favorite elements of the whole shoot and I had never done stunts before and I remember my first fight sequence when I first saw the choreography I was very overwhelmed I was like oh my god I how am I going to remember all this but then you break it down into little pieces like you would at a, like a dance class or aerobics class and like break it down and make it attainable and 
just got so into it. It was mm. so thrilling. And the adrenaline rush that you get from these things. We'd be shooting a stunt scene at 2 in the morning, and I'd be, like, knocking people out and just <laughs> loving it. And also the whole stunt team, all those guys were – you know, you go in sort of with this preconceived idea that it's gonna you're like a petite feminine girl, maybe they're gonna, you know, not think you're up for it. But they were so cool and calm and supportive of me and encouraging. It just had my back and made me feel like a million bucks and made me feel like I was equipped to do it. And it was a it was a huge positive part of my experience. Very cool. All right. Well, I think that is pretty much all the time we have. I know you got have to run off to another appointment. Yeah, what time uh, is it? Uh, it's like uh, we got, yeah, okay. we got time. We have a few more minutes if you want to. But if you uh, want to wrap it up, that's cool. But oh <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's cool. I want to make sure you get off. Yeah, sorry. Um, thank you. So uh, thank you all for listening. Of course, stay tuned because we'll be back momentarily with uh, some more interviews for our two hundredth. TV extravaganza episode of This Week in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Not This Week in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., just This Week in Marvel. <laughs> um, so thank you all for listening. Thank you for joining us, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. Yep, yeah, and uh, stay tuned. Hello there, This Week in Marvelites. This is Marvel.com editor Mark Strom once again wrapping up our 200th episode TV extravaganza. Wow. I am here on the set of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with director of S.H.I.E.L.D. himself, Clark Craig. How are you doing, Clark? Uh, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm really <laughs> you know, proud of you all for 200 anythings. is really amazing. Well, technically, we learned this the other day. Someone tweeted this to us. We've actually done 390 podcasts in the last four years. Then why are you only getting credit for 200? Because this is like the 200th of our regular series, but then we have all these offshoot series from the regular one. Oh, man. So it's technically been 200 weeks, but 390 podcasts in those weeks oh, or something. Funny. See, you I, never get credit for I all think, the work you do. I think we're slacking. I think we easily could have done 600 <laughs> in those get times. It together. <laughs> But now you guys are back uh, filming. Oh, we're so back. You are. I mean, you're you're quite a bit in at this point, and we can't tell people anything about any of we it. We are right now filming episode, and that's really fun <laughs> because some of the amazing, like I can't believe we just had the supervillain show up. I know that moment was praying gravel. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, we're shooting episode four yeah. already. Uh, seems like we just started up, but that's very exciting. Wow. And, of course, like I say, we can't really tell people too much about what's going on. No. But, you know, one thing that I've seen sort of touched upon in various ways uh, in the last few weeks, as you guys have been doing interviews and going around, is that, you know, one of the big things for Coulson this season is sort of a uh, changing dynamic between him and Daisy. She is... Uh, no longer like the newbie uh, and also sort of like you know your more paternal uh, feelings towards her it feels like now you are giving her uh, more rope and more room to sort of grow on her own would you say that's the case yeah I mean I, I feel like the the you know the the relationship the connection continues and to a certain extent it, it always has been kind of father-daughter but it's also been really kind of mentor mentor you know talented young agent and uh, she's really risen to a lot of challenges and earned a lot of stripes and you know she's also an integral part of what might become secret warriors because she is an inhuman and it really connects Coulson in a deep and visceral way to 
the plight of the Inhumans. And uh, so she certainly got a lot more responsibility this season, and she has more rope, as you said, <laughs> and I'm, I'm hoping that she doesn't uh, get herself in trouble with it. Now, you mentioned, you touched on the Inhumans, which of course were a huge part of season two. And going into season three, we've already announced that there will be some more Inhumans. Lash will be making an appearance. What can you say about when we first see Coulson at the beginning of season three, episode one, about what his stance on the Inhumans is? Um, well, what was set up at the end of last season was that certainly from Coulson's point of view, you know, if, no, if for no other reason than his relationship with Sky, not all Inhumans... Uh, are bad mm-hmm. and while there is now what seems to be suddenly a lot more of them around thanks to the proliferation of uh, fish oils in, the, in a lot of people's <laughs> supplement diet um, he has felt that, that perhaps the most important thing he can do right now is put together a team of people that is at least largely comprised of people like this and that's that's what he's started out the season focused on doing as is always the case on our show and in the Marvel Universe uh, there are so many different shifting sands out there uh, between the kind of Ward's attempts to rebuild Hydra and a lot of other stuff that it, it remains to be seen how long that will be the true focus of what Coulson's doing but it's it's certainly a big part coming out of the gates mm-hmm. and I mean, has have you had sort of a um, helping hand this season? Has anyone given you you a hand? I got Direct, a hand it has, to you. Has anyone <laughs> given Director Coulson a hand I got in, a, his, uh, he, in his? He certainly duties? started uh, down a hand, <laughs> and um, and you know when he realized he couldn't even drive Lola himself, he, he realized that he needed to get some uh, cybernetic assistance, and uh, Fitz has pulled up pulled together some uh, resources and come up with. An amazing, uh, an amazing attempt at a, at a cybernetic hand that he starts the season out with, and a lot of what's going on with him is kind of the adjustment to using this hand in a logistical, practical way, and also one more adjustment to to you know who he is as a being on the planet, which is suddenly different than it was before. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things that came out, I feel like, from the end of last season was that Coulson was really uh, in a lot of people's eyes, the um, inarguably the leader of Shield. A- after all the stuff with uh, uh, Robert Gonzalez and the inner conflict there, do you think he has some more confidence going into this season, or at least maybe maybe confidence isn't the right word, but at least knowing that more people have his back than might have in the past? Yes, to a certain extent, it's it's a relief. To have uh, Shield 2.0 essentially non-existent and really or at least integrated, integrated. Into yeah, there's one Shield, and it seems like you know to whatever extent different members have different questions about him. Uh, largely, everybody seems to be on the same team, and uh, as is kind of classically Coulson, it seems he's even taken the people who have real serious misgivings about aliens and inhumans like Mac and made them a key part of the team so that he has a dissenting voice which doesn't seem to threaten him. Uh, He's so 
pragmatic that he seemed even able to understand why people had questions about him before mm-hmm. um, and he doesn't seem to be too thrown by the fact that those people uh, had those questions or that they now seem to have had those questions resolved uh, and I you know I think it's probably a relief, but he's so focused on the objectives at hand, and I think he needs to be, that I don't think he feels particularly puffed up about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Um, you know, you actually touched upon Mac, and I do, I have to say, I do like the role that Colson has put him in, even though, you know, it's technically the writers that put him in that role as sort of like paired off with uh, uh, Chloe with. Um, Sk- Sk- Daisy, I almost yeah. called her Sky. Yeah, Colson has that problem too. <laughs> uh, so I'm excited for fans to see that. Um, and as far as Colson's sort of evolution, what are some of the things that you are hoping to see in Colson in this season? That's a really good question. I mean, I've always. I've always been thrilled by the stuff that involves the Inhumans because when the comics can use, you know, fantastic or fantasy elements like alternate forms of evolution where suddenly some people evolve differently than the rest of us and there are those in society who consider that a threat and those who consider it a gift, it feels very topical in the world today. and. I like that part of it. I like that. I like that metaphor behind the Inhumans, and I hope we get to explore that. You know, already there are people Coulson is dealing with who seem to be more threatened by the Inhumans and uh, a potential opposition group in this organization, the ATCU, that shows up rather quickly, and. Uh, you know, it starts to smell a little bit like a, a build-up to civil war. I don't know how our show will cross it over, but so far, uh, the way our writers have been writing really amazing scripts that really seem to be kind of exploring all the nuances of that in a way that leads me to believe that that might be where we're going. Yeah. Now, it's actually, that's interesting, because the way you phrased that just made me think about something, in that earlier you were describing how Coulson is putting together this team to sort of go out and find Inhumans, help them, sometimes protect them. What struck me was that, in some ways, it feels like he's almost filling the void that Jaying left after the end of last season. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's the case. I don't even know if Coulson would necessarily see that. You see it that way. But it does seem to be that there are some sort of parallels between what S.H.I.E.L.D. is doing now and what she was previously doing, albeit she was a little insane, as it turned out. And hopefully you do not turn out to be insane. You know, that remains to be seen. It feels like he's come very close a number of times with the Cree serum and the the ways that he was brought back. Um, it may end up going in that direction. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the 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 kind of line, the log line going when we first uh, introduced this show was not all heroes are super, and if there's an extension of that in this season, it's that uh, not all Inhumans are bad. But then again, n- not all of them are good either. Yeah. So suddenly there are a bunch of people on the planet who have strange new abilities. Some that they're aware of, and some that they're not. And you know. It just makes the job of the people trying to protect 
the world from threats very complicated. And it, it kind of creates a, gr a whole new kind of gray area that we started to see at the end of last season that I think will be very complex to try to maneuver uh, in this season. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, I guess sort of just to close out, one thing that I've been wondering, particularly after last season, of course, we touched on uh, the uh, conflict between Gonzalez and Colson, and sort of now Colson is legitimized in a lot of people's eyes as sort of the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Does Colson understand S.H.I.E.L.D. to be sort of like a rogue agency in some ways? Like, it doesn't feel like S.H.I.E.L.D. currently reports he's, to anyone. Yeah, he's certainly not the director of the S.H.I.E.L.D. that Nick Fury used to run. Right. You know, I think it's really a shadow S.H.I.E.L.D. right now that, it, you know, the existence of that S.H.I.E.L.D. is known by certain members of the government, definitely uh, General Talbot. Um, and at the same time, it remains very small and in the shadows, uh, a kind of quiet network, probably the good version of what Hydra was trying to be. Right. And it's probably safest to remain that way for now. I think suspicion or around the world about shield continues you know like who can blame them they didn't know who calling themselves a shield agent was actually hydra and uh and so he's work he's running the form of shield that the shield needs to be right now right and uh i think i think as long as that seems to be the most effective way to accomplish their objectives that's what shield will remain Certainly, uh, until it feels important to evolve into something else that has a bigger profile, or until Director Fury, you know, who remains to a certain extent the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. as far as Coulson is concerned, mm -hmm. until he shows back up and uh, declares the next phase. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, I think that's pretty much all we can tease for season three before. I know. People can, so, we have to keep so many secrets. That's really not fun. No. <laughs> and there's like so little that we can tease, all but right. I think we hit it all. all right. We'll come back. Yes. All right. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for joining us, Clark, and thanks to everyone uh, for listening. Uh, until then, or until next time, I should say, this is Marvel, your universe. That's right. And we're back. This is Mark and Patrick once again. Uh, so... Hopefully you enjoyed our series of interviews and you're excited for all the great stuff we've got coming up for Marvel TV. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. We just wanted to say bye and thanks for listening. Say bye, Patrick. Bye, Patrick. Oh, boy. But uh, so this is coming out the same week as the very uh, special preview of Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, this is true. So, Later this week, we don't always release these podcasts with uh, uh, much advanced warning. We normally release it on Thursday, and if something happens on Saturday, not everyone's listened to it. But this comes out on Tuesday, so make sure this Saturday you tune in to the sneak preview of the very first episode of Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. That will be at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Disney XD, and you'll get to hear Will Friedle's Chris Pratt impression. 
And of course, we should also mention that the season premiere of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is coming up in just a few short weeks. Well, uh, well a, actually, we- a week is only ever one increment of time. Well, anyway, uh, it'll actually be starting four weeks from the day this podcast launches on uh, September 29th at 9, 8 central on ABC. Of course. Is that for... Short weeks or four long weeks? The four regular weeks. <laughs> um, Marvel's Agent Carter will be returning to ABC in 2016. And Marvel's Jessica Jones, well, we can't tell you just yet when it will launch, but you can look for it soon uh, on Netflix, of course. And stay tuned to Marvel.com for all the latest on Marvel's Jessica Jones. Very nice plug there, Patrick. Right? Nice. And follow at Jessica Jones. Because there's info about this, the series on that social media account. Well, and Facebook.com slash Jessica Jones. You can So hit, many ways that you can find out. Absolutely. You can hit Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with uh, at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You can hit up Agent Carter with at Agent Carter TV uh, you on can, Twitter. You can hit up at... Stromy, S-T-R-O-M-M-Y, I, I, for just, all the latest. I'm just, on. I am plugging the shows right now, Patrick. And you can hit Facebook.com slash Agent Carter for, uh, for more Agent Carter. And, uh, and you can talk to at the Wolfman for the latest on Marvel Animation and TV. Nobody wants to do that. Okay. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. As we said, tune in to all our uh, wonderful shows coming up. And until then, thank you all for listening, and this is Marvel, your universe. 